All over the world uh, today, Christian pastors uh, are going to be preaching sermons on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a lot of pastors out there will offer a lot of really good arguments on the historicity of the resurrection, and they'll talk a lot about proofs and about evidential material, and there's some really good stuff in all that, and it is worthy of reflection. But at the end of the day, one of the things that the gospel tells us is that it is only the heart and eyes of faith that can truly embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One author said that we don't have an argument that solves the problem of this cruel world, but we have a story. And that resurrection story is a victory story, a story rooted in time and in space, in history and in fact, but it is ultimately a victory story, a story that you and I get to participate in. So as we think about that, let's read the account of this from John's gospel. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, and then I'm going to skip over to verses 19 to 23. This is God's word. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but fold up, folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed." For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And now verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just this amazing day, the amazing opportunity to reflect on the resurrection of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Help us now as we reflect on this story to not only see its cosmic significance, to not only see its significance in history and the history of religion, but more than anything, to see the significance of what it means to us in our own heart in our own lives. Only your spirit can do that. So reveal to us your truth this morning. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, the Lenten season has now come to a conclusion. Uh, if you've been with us this Lenten season, you'll know that uh, we've done a sermon series on what's called the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, it stretches from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. And what it records for us is Jesus's conversation with his disciples while they were sitting down at that last supper and sharing that final meal with one another. They weren't Jesus's final words. Of course, he said those final words when he hung on the cross, but they were this sort of final extended conversation that Jesus would have with his disciples before the chaos of his arrest, his mock trial, and his crucifixion, before all that chaos would ensue. And if you were with us last Sunday, we saw that Jesus ended that conversation with these words. He said to his closest friends, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What Jesus did in that moment, those final words with his disciples, is that he promised them peace and he promised them victory. But of course he knew that in the next couple of hours, in the next couple of days, uh, everything would feel far from peaceful and everything would feel very far from victorious. Of course, we know on Good Friday, we saw that chaos, that weakness, and that vulnerability hit its apex. The God of the universe made himself vulnerable and subject to death. Those whom God created would spit at him. They would mock him. They would nail him to a cross and they would crucify him. And he would silently endure every step of it like a lamb that was being led to slaughter. He would be led to the place of the skull, the hill of Golgotha to be crucified. And of course, all of these events were anything but peaceful. And everyone looking on had to wonder, how could this be a victory? How could Jesus claim that this would be an overcoming or a victory? But of course, we know that that wasn't the end of the story. It would not be peaceful, but it wasn't the end. It wasn't the end of a story because there would be no victory if that was the end. If that was the end, then Jesus would be just another misguided individual who would suffer from some sort of delusion of grandeur. But of course, we know that the cross is not the end of the story. Early in the morning on Sunday, Mary Magdalene, as we read, and a few of disciples they find an empty tomb. Only burial cloths remained in that tomb. And it says of one of the disciples, most likely John, that the minute he saw that empty tomb and those cloths lying there, it said he saw and he believed. But right after that, we see that they all went back to their homes. Everybody went back home. And that was partly because they had been hiding in their homes ever since the crucifixion. And then the passage tells us that that night, later in the day, they were all huddled in a home together. The doors were locked because they were afraid of everything that was happening around them. And it says that Jesus came and stood among them. And what did he say to them? He said, peace be with you. Jesus, of course, was alive. 
divine vulnerability had now been transformed into a divine victory. The victory that Jesus had talked so much about was now accomplished. It was finished. Uh, If you know me, you know I I love sports movies. Uh, And maybe you like sports movies out there too. You always love, you've seen the sports movie before. Uh, You've got teams and they uh, overcome all sorts of odds and secure this amazing victory. And there's wonderful celebration. I love those movies. I love even the cheesy ones. And uh, they don't get any more cheesy than a movie that came out in 1985 called Rocky IV. Uh, there's lots of Rocky movies. Rocky IV is my absolute favorite, but it is absolutely cheesy. Uh, by the time you get to Rocky IV, he's already beaten Apollo Creed twice. And uh, then he beats Mr. T in uh, 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 Rocky III. But then uh, in Rocky IV, uh, the stakes get a lot higher in that he has to fight a man named Ivan Drago, who was a very large man, uh, seemed like twice the size of poor little Rocky. Uh, He was hopped up on steroids and full of all sorts of Russian fury. And of course, I'm gonna ruin it because at the end of the movie, you know what happens. Uh, Rocky overcomes incredible odds and he beats Ivan Drago. But then a very unique moment happens at the end of that movie where Rocky gives a speech And the speech is in Russia, and he gives this amazing speech. And what you discover is in that moment, Rocky single-handedly ends the Cold War by himself, by his amazing speech, he single-handedly ends the Cold War. So of course, his victory is a bit overstated, and it's a bit cheesy, but it is uh, not possible to overstate the victory that Jesus Christ accomplished in his resurrection. Well, what sort of victory did Jesus accomplish? Well, Ephesians chapter two uh, talks about three foes or three enemies that Jesus conquered by virtue of the resurrection. The first of those foes, Ephesians calls the world. It's called the course of this world. And Jesus, of course, gained victory over it. Now, if you look at Jesus's life, you'll see that in the end, Jesus was a victim of a lot of things. He was a victim of a lot of broken systems that exist in our world. In fact, the crucifixion happened because of an unjust political system, because of a corrupt religious elite and a betrayal by one of his closest friends, a betrayal that was motivated by all sorts of greed and all these things conspired together for an unjust crucifixion of an innocent man. So we see all those things at play in Jesus's crucifixion. But I would venture to say that if you look at our world today, we see evidence of those things in our world, in the course of our world today. Because you you all know we live in a world that is not the way It is supposed to be. We have this innate sense inside of us that things are not the way they ought to be. Of course, we've just been through a a, a pretty messy political cycle, haven't we? Probably the messiest I can remember uh, in my life. We see corruption all over the place. We see it in the government. We see it in police departments. We see neighborhoods that have become oppressed by things like drugs and violence. 
We see generations of people that are enslaved to cycles of poverty. And all these things, all these issues are bigger than just individual people and individual stories. They feel like they are systems that perpetuate all sorts of injustice and all sorts of oppression. We see it evidenced in our world all over the place. And sadly, we even see that corruption from time to time seep into God's church. We see it seep into different religions that are out there. And I don't have to tell you about the countless pastors and and high profile ministers from all sorts of denominations that have been caught in all sorts of abuses of power. So not only do we see that brokenness outside in our world, but we see it even within the church. We see the hypocrisy in religion in the church, and we know it's true because we see it in our own hearts as well. Even as we look at the course of this world, we see all, thing, all sorts of things like greed and materialism. We see selfish gain dominate so many things in our world. And as we look at that, we feel like those are the things that rule the world. Those are the systems that feel like they are in charge, that dominate our world. And of course, we see that Jesus was victimized by all of this. But in the end, He overcame it all. He gained victory over it all. And that victory was declared when Jesus rose from the grave. The corruption and the brokenness of our world will not have the final word. The second enemy that Ephesians talks about is the devil. In fact, Ephesians says, he calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. Now, if you read the scriptures at all, you'll know that they are very clear that there is a reality that you and I cannot see, but is no less real, even though we can't see it. God himself is unseen. And so are things like angels and demons. So are things like the devil. And we get a sense that there are cosmic forces that operate in the spiritual realm that we sometimes can notice and other times we are blind to. But just because we don't see them doesn't mean that these cosmic forces do not exist. In fact, we know from the scriptures that uh, from the very beginning, the devil has been all about his work to distort humanity by peddling lies and by stealing our joy. We know from the beginning of Jesus's ministry that that he was opposed every step of the way by these cosmic forces of evil. We see Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. We see demons shrieking at the presence of Jesus during his ministry. And Luke even tells us that the devil was involved in in Judas's betrayal of Jesus at the very end. Now, I'm sure all those cosmic forces of evil, when they looked at Jesus on the cross, believed that they had won. They believed that they had gained the victory and they believed that that cross was a symbol of their victory. But what we know is that Jesus was the true victor. The vulnerability of Jesus on the cross was not a defeat, but at the end of the day, it was a victory. And that victory was declared 
when Jesus rose from the grave. The cosmic forces of evil would not have the final word. The last enemy that, that uh, Ephesians talks about is, is called the flesh or the passions of the flesh. And whenever the Bible talks about the flesh, it speaks about it in one of two categories. It speaks about the flesh in terms of death and in terms of sin. The truth is all of us face the reality of death. Uh, as of just a few days ago, I looked it up. As of just a few days ago, 3 million people worldwide have lost their lives this past year due to COVID implications. 3 million people. Almost all of us know someone uh, that has been deeply affected by all of this. And I don't know about you, but I know at the very beginning when all these COVID things were coming to light, I was certainly a bit more in touch with my own mortality, and I'm sure you were as well, as we started to think about the implications of this pandemic. So we have that in our air and on our world today, but then you add to this the, just the regular realities of death that we see day in and day out. We hear about the cancer diagnosis. We hear about the untimely car accident. We hear about the victims of violence that are all around us. And it's very easy when you think about death to think of it as a foe that no one can beat. No one can beat death. No one gains victory over death. And then we look to Jesus and we see an empty grave. The victory of death was declared when Jesus rose from the grave. And that means that death will not have the final word. The other use of flesh in the Bible has to do with the reality of sin. We can recognize that corruption, hypocrisy, greed, materialism, all these things are foes that feel very external to us. But if we're honest, all those things exist in our own hearts as well. Sin is present in each and every one of us. Each day we act out that rebellion against God and that sin condemns us before a holy God. Just think about the reality of sin for a moment. How many of you have moments in your life that you just wish you could go back and change? How many of you might bear the, the burden of your past and or present sins and missteps? How many of you wish that you could free yourself from those feelings of guilt that tend to wear down and oppress our hearts? Sin, after all, might be the greatest foe that all of us face. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has gained the victory. Through his death and through his resurrection, you and I, we can be freed from those guilts we can be free from the burden of sins through his death and his resurrection. We can be forgiven the debt we owe and the condemnation that we deserve. The victory over sin was declared when Jesus rose from the dead. And that means that your sin does not have to have the final word in your life. So friends, the resurrection is a victory in every sense of the word. We can't possibly overstate what a victory the resurrection was. It's a victory over our corrupt world. 
It's a victory over the cosmic forces of evil. It's a victory over death and it is a victory over your sin. And by faith in Jesus, entrusting in him with your life, you can participate in that great victory as well. You might be wondering, well, if Jesus accomplished this great victory at the resurrection, then why do we still deal with these things? Why do we still deal with the reality of corruption and brokenness and death and sin? It's a good question. Whenever I think about that question, I think about uh, one of the last chapters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It was a, a chapter in there called the Shire Reckoning. And if you only watch the movies, you didn't get this chapter, right? Uh, if you've ever looked at the Lord of the Rings before, you'll know that it's, it's about facing the cosmic forces of evil. And for three books, the the main characters are fighting these cosmic forces of evil. And then again, to spoil it for you, they gain victory at the end of the book over these cosmic forces of evil. There's a great celebration and everybody's happy and everybody's joyful. And finally, it's time for the main characters to go back home. And when they go back home, they're shocked to find that the forces of evil are still in charge in their hometown. And what they realize is that even though the victory has been declared and even though the victory has been accomplished, the reality of that victory has not reached home yet, despite the fact that it's already been won. I've often thought that that's a really apt description of this in-between time that you and I live in. The victory has already been won in the resurrection. However, the reality of that victory has yet to fully transform the world that we live in now. But one of the things the scriptures are very clear about is this, is that one day Jesus will come again and he will bring final, the final culmination, the final consummation of that great victory. And in that moment, death and corruption and sin and evil, all of them will be wiped out forever. And all we will know, all we will know is peace and joy. See, Jesus didn't just promise peace. He delivered it. And that's why twice he says to his disciples, peace be with you. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us is that the peace of Jesus would reign in our hearts this Easter morning. Because Christ has been raised, the promises of God have been fulfilled. Because Christ has been raised, you no longer need to fear sin and death. Because Christ has been raised, there is hope for a world that feels so broken. Because Christ has been raised, you can experience life, life eternal. Let's pray.